0: I'm Stuart McLeod, CEO and co-founder of Carbon. Welcome to the Accounting Leaders podcast, the show where I go behind the scenes with the world's top accounting leaders. Today, I'm joined by Jeff Phillips, CEO of Padgett, one of the largest tax and accounting firms in North America, serving the specific needs of small businesses. Jeff founded the recruitment platform AccountingFly way back in 2012 and has been recognized as one of the top 100 most influential people for helping solve the hiring challenges of CPA firms. Since then, Jeff and his team have been working directly with firms to help them transform their processes and culture to embrace remote talent. It's my pleasure to welcome the CEO of Padgett and the founder of AccountingFly, to the Accounting Leaders Podcast, Jeff Phillips. Jeff, welcome. So, uh, Pensacola is your hometown. though You haven't uh, moved, moved far from your uh, original place of birth. Is that true?
1: That's true. I live in my hometown. My wife is from here. We wanted to raise our children here, but I've lived in Austin, New York, Dallas, went to college in Texas. And so, you know, during the early part of my career, I, I worked for a lot of really... Cool companies and got got to see a lot of awesome things, especially in the dot-com startup world. But when my wife was pregnant with our first son 13 years ago, we decided to move back home. It's a beautiful little town. It's on the Gulf of Mexico. It's kind of under the radar, but it's got white beaches and a lot of great history. So my parents and my in-laws live down the street. It's it's good, man.
0: Yeah, it's a very family-oriented Uh, lifestyle Uh, and what do you do off the coast is a big sailing town or what's the leisure sports of choice
1: it's a huge sailing bay that we live in actually last summer the america's cup team this was their practice oh
0: all the aussies on the american team eh?
1: Yeah, is that right? I don't know much yeah. about uh,
0: The American team had like two Americans in <laughs> it. The rest, the rest <laughs> were Kiwis and Aussies. <laughs>
1: they made it change the name then. So they were all living here in Pensacola. I don't sail, but I love to uh, get in my boat and go beach hopping and, and cruise, do some fishing. A lot of golf around here. It's warm, you know, nine months out of the year here. It's really pleasant in the spring and the fall. And what sort boat you got? You got a big sink boat, do you? I got a, uh, I don't have a, did you say a steamboat? Stink boat. What's a stink boat?
0: Stink boat. Well, it's, it's either a sailing boat, which don't sink, or a sink boat that sinks because of the diesel. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't you heard that before? I've never,
1: that's that's got to be an Australian <laughs> term, right?
0: <laughs> Probably is. I mean, maybe it's, I don't know if it's, I don't think it's meant to be derogatory. Maybe, maybe some sailors, friends of ours, called uh started that term and you know as sort of a, a bit of a, a jab at um those those that need most
1: motors yeah <laughs> i have a motorboat uh it's motorboats it's good for fishing and just cruising around it it's got a little door off the side that my kids can jump into the water on with a ladder it's it's fun to just go out and um spend the day we'll we'll go go cruise to a beach and set up a little camp and spend the day and play and eat and, uh, and go home, you know, kissed by the sun and exhausted at the end of the day.
0: That's amazing. And uh, ha- having your family close by must be great for the grandkids and the grandparents and all of that. That's a very well, well-considered arrangement you've got there.
1: <laughs> I'm assuming you don't have any family in Tahoe. Um, other than your, your, your immediate family.
0: That's right. That's right. We we, we have a uh, small family. So my, my sister is seven years younger, who lives in Hobart. Uh, my father passed away 20, 22 years ago. Amanda's an only child and her parents are in Melbourne. So, you know, part of us moving 10 years ago, it is this year to the States, was, you know, we, we didn't really have, you know, like, we we had our you know our parents the kids grandparents obviously but it was not like your situation where you know that that that, uh, that they were down the street and it's like here you go mum have the kids <laughs> and it's not that we uh, we moved away from them deliberately we wouldn't do that i oh, mum we, we we just felt uh, you know a bit bit like you with with, with travels and and everything pre kids it's sort of you know your town starts even Melbourne is you know, sort of start feeling small and you're drinking with the same people at the same places that you were 20 years ago. It's like, oh, okay, hang on. (laughs) Um, Something's going to change here, right? And uh, so we did, yeah. I always
1: tell my kids that they have to leave when they're 18 and it's time for college. They can't stick around here. They've got to go away. I don't want them to go away, but I think you have a richer life if you travel and if you move around. And my wife and I, we did our share of that before we met each other and got married. And um, if you want to come back, come back, but don't don't live here your whole life. That's what I always tell my kids.
0: Gap here is not such a thing here, is it? Like, you know, that, that year between high school and college, you typically go straight to college, don't you?
1: Yeah, you typically go straight to college, and I was not ready for that, and I don't think anybody is. And I think I think if I could have done it all over again, I would have worked on an oil rig. Or done manual labor or something for a year, and then really appreciated the opportunity of a college degree.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I wonder if it's got anything to do with sort of like the um, like the very rigid sporting path that America has, right? Like, if you if you've got any talent, you're going straight from high school into college on a on a full scholarship, and there's no fucking around in, in the UK pulling beers for. For for years <laughs> <is> there. <laughs> what does the
1: gap year look like where you grew up?
0: I didn't do it, but many of yeah. So <laughs> honestly, Aussies, we do a, a big a, a big swap with the UK. There's, you know, there's a million Aussies that <laughs> go to the UK and try and shag a whole lot of uh, English people, and, and all the English people come to Aussie and do, do the opposite. <laughs> that's what it, that's, that's all it is. that's, that's what happens. And there's some beers that are pulled in the meantime.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So Australians, they're 18 years old. They finish high school and they move. They move to the UK for a year and just party. That sounds awesome. Can we do that? Can you do that when you're 45?
0: I reckon we should. I reckon we should. We can't do the shagging, you know. The divorce is too expensive. But and no, nobody will have us anyway, Jeff. <laughs> let's be honest. <laughs> and um... I want to go. I, I would
1: like to go to England, though. I'll, listen, let's ditch this podcast, and I'll meet you in London. Forty-eight hours, how about that?
0: Let's do it. Well, we can't. We we don't need to do it in in uh, July. So summer is the best play. Is the best time to visit London. It's amazing. And um, we selfishly, we've got a team that's uh, ever expanding in the UK. We're um, we're translating the product into French and. Uh, starting up there. So, we're going to, um, we're, I'm going to spend or with the family, we're going to spend two weeks in the UK in July and do a little bit of travel in Europe as well. But um, that should be really fun. I think COVID sort of, you know, we're, we're our rebellious uh, year is this year with, with travel. We're trying to cram three years of travel into into one. But, um, <laughs> and. Us too. Have you spent much time in Europe? And. and UK or Australia or any of
1: those? No, I mean, I'm, I'm jealous that uh, you're taking your family with you. One of my dreams is to spend a summer in France and take my kids and my wife and learn how to cook and live in Provence. That's that's one of my bucket lists. But we did go to Costa Rica for spring break 10 days ago and, and had probably the best family vacation we've ever taken.
0: Oh, wow. Whereabouts in Costa Rica?
1: We, we stayed at a resort called El Mangrove. It's in the northwest part on the uh kind of the guanacost area of costa rica near liberia near hermosa beach coco beach we were on a beach called uh panama beach oh, it was great it was warm sunny the people are amazing we ate seafood we jet skied and boated and fished and went to bed early like we went to bed like about 8 30 every night and just got a good night's sleep it was the best
0: one of the things we have to talk about is uh, remote work and the great resignation. Costa Rica is the place that I would choose to live. See? See what I did there? It's called a segue. <laughs> that was the worst segue I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> in the biz, it's called a segue, Stuart. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not in the business, so it doesn't matter. The um, so, so we had a, a fantastic holiday like yours, uh, actually five, six years ago now. Near there, I was going to look it up, but I, I can't be bothered. But, um, yeah, we, we spent, we had an amazing two weeks down there. I think you're the third or fourth person that's mentioned Costa Rica. Our accountant, Bruce Phillips, got love him, just bought a house down in Costa Rica, in Tamarina. <laughs> nice. Yeah, know. Right. So I think we should do the podcast. We could, there we go, in the UK, Costa Rica. You were tempted to look at the real estate down there? I wanna
1: go back. I didn't look at the real estate where I where I was at. I don't think um, it's gonna be in my my wheelhouse right now, but I wanna go back so bad.
0: I think just the the people and the place just bring your family together, right? Like it's It just works. I mean, we took a tour with
1: this wonderful guy who's driving us around in a Toyota Land cruiser and we're going to this park where we were going to go horseback riding and zip lining and he was telling me he was telling us about all the fruit that is just natural to Costa Rica like cashew fruit mangoes etc cetera, etc cetera. and he said one of the things about Costa Rica is if somebody has a fruit tree in their yard they don't mind if you just pick one off and he goes here I'll show you pulls over the, the car and takes a big li- uh, like a stick, throws it up at this mango tree and knocks down about ten mangoes and brings them into the car and says, here you go. And we ate, we ate them in the car. <laughs> there you go. you get shot if you do that in Florida. <laughs> oh yeah, Florida's, I mean we could do a whole podcast on how weird Florida is. <laughs> Happy to do that by the way, if you want. And not talk about accounting. But yes, you would get, you would get shot in Florida, maimed. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a different culture. I think uh, in Aussie you'd be like, oh, fucking mate, whatever. <laughs> Can't be bothered. Maybe and, <laughs> we, could, we could do a cultural comparison. On the west coast of the States you'd probably get, you know, probably be some kind of city ordinance that would, would stop you from, uh, you know, dropping the mangoes in case you got hit in the head and you had to sue for liability or something, Right. Uh, so you wouldn't be allowed. <laughs> this is true. That
1: sounds very Californian.
0: You know, you can only uh, drop the mangoes between the hours of, you know, nine thirty AM,
1: and they have to be tested. Yeah. <laughs> I asked the guy. We said, "What would the the homeowner say if if she saw you?" And he said in English, "He said." She might yell at me, but I'll say it's no big deal. Pura vida, pure life. That's what they say in in Costa Rica. So, turns out they do kind of get pissed off if you steal their fruit, but you just tell them pure vida, and then it's, everything's fine.
0: Well, there's something to be said without uh, uh, for a country without military.
1: And they're and they're bordered by pretty hostile places with with high military, I, I believe.
0: Then they're just like, ah, you guys are right. You guys go and fight. We'll sit here and sit on the beach, go surfing. <laughs>
1: drink out of a coconut and go surfing. Speaking of the great resignation, I, the, you're, I'm, I'm, I don't want to work anymore. I just want to go back there.
0: But if you're going to work, pretty good place to do it. Yeah.
1: Well, it, look, I know people that work all over the world remote for accounting firms. They, they live on beaches and you can work from a hut in uh, Costa Rica as long as you have a good Wi-Fi connection and, a, and the right laptop.
0: That's right, Elon's fixing the world, the world's internet, right? So that once you've got a Starlink, you're sweet. you're good, you're good to go. And uh, I have a theory though, Jeff, what do you think of this? The world, so, so you are absolutely right, you can work wherever you like, but the world's work environment is not ready for people to work on the beach, on the boats, in the hut. Because, I don't know why, but whenever... Well, I didn't know why, I guess, but because it's so ingrained into us that beach equals holiday, right, that as soon as you turn, you know, if I change my background, oh, I can't do you know, if I change my background and you think that i am sort of got my shirt off and sitting on a beach somewhere, you I shouldn't do a podcast outside, I guess, but, you know, you, you, you go into that mindset, oh, I'm interrupting his holiday, I'm you know, I'm, I'm intruding on his, uh, on, on his family time. So I think people that do choose to, to live in amazing places, there's still a lot of bias around, you know, whether they're actually working, you know, oh, you know, you're just fucking around, you know, not doing much or, oh, you're just sort of, you know, hard, hard life, is it, Jeff, you know, just gone from pool to beach today, have you?
1: <laughs> I definitely think it's a career limiting move right now, the way you described it, but you should also have professional standards. You could live on the beach, just have a fake background and put a shirt on for your client meetings. I mean come on.
0: But oh, computers the computers look after that surely these days. Zoom could put a shirt on
1: surely. When we first started doing remote hiring at accounting fly, that was the biggest fear I would go to these conferences for traditional CPA firms here in the States and say there's a very compelling reason to stop hiring In your city and that compelling reason is there's not enough people there to fill all the open jobs so we would say it's really simple if you if you look nationally and you don't care where they work you'll probably fill the job it's that easy and um that this fear of not seeing them not having my thumb on the employee and knowing exactly what they're doing at all time that was the that was the resistance across all industries although i think ours was the last to truly get on board with this.
0: Yeah, well, COVID uh, left the world with no choice, didn't it? Hmm.
1: It did. It was the greatest thing that could have happened for remote work in the accounting profession because everybody realized, wait a second, there's no one at the office. We're making more money than we did last year. I guess we can be productive from home after all.
0: And there's these great softwares you can do to, to, to keep your virtual thumb on the, on the office, knowing, knowing who's doing what, when, why and how. <laughs> <laughs> you, you'll appreciate this. What there's there's a whole lot of side effects, and um, some manageable, easily some within your control, some not. But um, when I was in the UK uh, end of last year, what we heard was and and inflation is an issue uh, throughout the world, particularly in Pakistan at the moment, the of uh, uh, four places. <laughs> but the what that what we heard from the the firms that were outside of london right like you know coastal or or up north say past manchester and, and places like that was <laughs> essentially i'm sort of paraphrasing but they're like these fucking london, london firms that are coming to the regions taking our staff and paying them london prices <laughs> and they don't even have to move so 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 the the tide lifts all boats right so they were, they were like we need to. We've been doing remote work all this time. The, the London the firms are waking up, and they're they're having an impact on on us and our staff. So we need to find even more ways to improve retention and and attract talent. So that was that was quite interesting. I thought, um, and I'm sure it happens in America, you know. But it's 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 um, I guess just because of the size of the UK and, and the the way that. You know, the the socio demographics work that uh, was more obvious.
1: (laughs) If I I understand what you're saying correctly, the exact same thing is happening here in the United States. Where, so back when we started remote hiring for our clients in like 15 and 16, you could hire a remote CPA or a bookkeeper for a little bit of a discount over, you know, the average market or the mean market. But when the industry started to adopt remote work more at scale, the California firms started setting the uh, wage rates. And so a lot of firms that used to be hiring remotely started losing their staff because the California firms and the New York firms were getting people in Minnesota and Oklahoma and Nebraska at Los Angeles wages. And so like when people, one of the The things like we just have to be upfront about when we talk about the Great Resignation, at least in accounting, is you have to pay market rates, and just like London setting the market rate in the UK, Los Angeles is setting the market rate, and those. I mean, I, I, we have hundreds of stories of LA-based firms and New York-based firms taking people from big CPA firms in the middle of America. They're getting you know forty percent pay raises and now working from their house.
0: Life's good. <laughs> good on them. I mean, you know, like it's well. I guess COVID is is reducing the geographical borders of of a the world, but b you know, particularly the countries that that which you and I operate in the most, right? And I don't know. Generally, generally I think that's a good thing, particularly in the US, with you know, relatively uh, minimal you know social safety nets and high price of insurances and those kinds of things. I mean, a, a more equally distributed wage, generally speaking, should be a, a net, net positive outcome. <laughs> I
1: think it is. And it doesn't matter if we like it or not because it is what it is. And yeah, we get yelled at a lot by managing partners with small firms who want to hire a bookkeeper and we tell them what it's going to cost them. And they think that we're price gouging. We're like, well, we didn't set that. It's like, it's just like a home. It's hiring people is like selling a house.
0: Hiring people is like selling a house by gestionals. <laughs> Here we go.
1: <laughs> the market wage is determined by a market, not by your opinion or how you feel about it. And s- same with selling your house. You can, you can ask 50% over, but you're not going to get it. The market decides that. And wages are decided by m- the market as well.
0: So, so, so what do you think of this theory, right? Here's another half-assed theory by Stuart. It's not the great resignation is the great shuffle because resignation would imply a decline in employment. But I think what's really happening is people are shuffling or, or perhaps I need to find a better word, um, you know, have, having a, a double take or, or at least a, a think about their life, their career, their values and, and their their lifestyle and matching those objectives with their employer and vice versa right employers are matching their ethics morals lifestyle ideals with their employment base and and if if particularly I mean you know I I, I guess we're well not I guess we are privileged in terms of you know operating the knowledge economy we don't have to go to factories to make a living and forever grateful but you know in the knowledge economies I think that that's generally true. If you wake up one morning and, and your and your employer once requires you in the office five days a week, having been home for the last three years, you can have a good hard think about it, won't yeah. you? Might that might suit you, it might not. And and you'll pretty quickly find somewhere that suits you better.
1: You absolutely will, and including entrepreneurship. I mean I, I don't have the numbers on this, but my, my hunch is that the great resignation is really code for reevaluating my life and my career I wonder if if it will lead to a rise in entrepreneurship as a you know I'm, I'm very curious about that from my role at Paget and and just one inside the accounting profession but I'm hoping to see a lot of people start more firms in in the profession as a result of this
0: that would be good I think uh, more firms are good <laughs> uh, I've got to go and look this up Lockie, can you look this up for me when you get this and have to cut this sentence out? But I I don't reckon that the accounting industry by number of people has grown at least over the last five years, like one in, one out, you know, at, at the most. You know, there's, there's that many, and, I you know, I shouldn't generalise, but I'm going to, old white guys with that did have one foot on the golf course have now got two. And the influx in... Uh, you know, from academia into accounting and, and the general, you know, life path of of your dad was an accountant. You go and work for his firm for 35 years and you might, he might let you become a partner when he, you know, gets his handicap down, right? Like th- those days are gone and new firms, new interesting firms, new exciting firms, new tech progressive firms, ready, here's another one for you, Jeff, like those at Paget. <laughs> encourage people to come into the industry, right? Like it's gotta be interesting and, and and worthwhile. And you and more and more people need purpose, rightly so, in their work environment, right? And if you can provide that through an interesting firm, the firm that does good, a firm that helps interesting clients, let's do it. You know, I mean, like I'm all for
1: it. I'm excited about the a change in firms that it, that probably has started with software companies like with the cloud being adopted and and of the ones you've worked at and started and the adoption of remote work and where it used to be you start a firm and it was like i'm gonna go after clients in one gas tank around my my office and that's and that's driven by the fact that we used to do pickups and drop-offs and so what's changed is, um, and this is what I think is really exciting, is I can go and build the accounting firm that, that serves the dental offices around the entire you know, United States footprint, or I could go serve advertising agencies.
0: You could do kids' d- dental offices that, that just serve, uh, that are specialists in children's dental, right? Like you can make a huge living with a, with a, a niche inside a or niche, as, as, as you would say, a niche inside a niche inside a niche. Right, and as long as yeah, I mean, COVID sort of knocked the restaurant industry around, and if you're a fully restaurant, there's probably a, a, an argument to say that that wasn't a great idea. But and and why stop in in the American borders, right? You can do, you can do you can do accounts, perhaps not accounting, but you can do accounts anywhere in the world, right?
1: You can do casts anywhere in the world. Taxes more complicated, but that. Okay, that's fine. Although I do have a friend who has a firm and she herself is a digital nomad. She just travels the world and she has a tax accounting firm that only does expatriate US expatriate taxes. And her employees are all no you must be a digital nomad. That means you do not have a home. You just you just travel the world and that's her accounting firm. There you go. But the the rise of entrepreneurship is a lot of fun and there's a lot of firms are coming up i mean the whole industry is coming up for sale there's a lot of firms for sale they're not going to get the multiple that they were hoping they could
0: no because because they're still on the sewer service in their cupboards that's why
1: <laughs> right and they're still in the one gas tank mindset so
0: well there is a battery it's a battery you know mileage now right like you can
1: one charge. One charge, exactly.
0: Thank you. One charge distance.
1: <laughs> I want to get ahead of of that that trend, and w- one of the things that we we haven't rolled this out, but I feel like for Paget has a unique place in this. We want to go. We want to go find those who are reshuffling and reevaluating their career and want to be entrepreneurs. But we want them to not have to start at zero, because I think that's really hard to start an accounting firm at nothing. We're gonna go help them buy and, and do diligence on a, on a firm, maybe in their market or maybe in their niche, and then help them transform it into a modern firm. Get them set up with carbon, get them set up with cloud accounting, and and give them our our playbook. My hope, it still hasn't really been fleshed out, but my hope is that there's enough people who wanna be entrepreneurs, I think there are, and we know there's a lot of firms. So. We want to somehow be that conduit between the, the, the demand for entrepreneurship and the, and the supply of firms that are out there.
0: And also the the knowledge curve, right? Like if you can, if you can sort of start halfway up the knowledge curve, why wouldn't you? There, there, and there is, there, you know, there is an easy argument to make that accountants aren't naturally entrepreneurs. They tend to be more risk averse. If you can take away some of that risk, fucking let's you know that that's an easy
1: sell market <laughs> i think so i mean more to come on it I, I i want it's kind of my dream for that company and i hope we can pull it off but i it, you know you got to have the you got to have the market on both sides and they're there and they've been doing that for 60 years eliminating that knowledge curve for firms but we have to modernize too i mean we 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 were a one gas tank firm we were and and we're we're modernizing what we do
0: so what, what was the what was the foundations of Paget? How what's the story from uh, from dating to now?
1: It started in Athens, Georgia. Before it was a franchise. This this man Walter Paget was doing gas station accounting and their taxes, but it started with accounting. And then in the eighties, uh, some new owners turned it into a, a franchise model. And the 70s 80s 90s there were a handful of big franchise type companies in our space and a lot of them have disappeared
0: h&r block was probably the most well known right
1: they have thrived but h but in the small business accounting and taxes realm those companies have gone by the wayside they they never adapted and Padgett, Padgett kept adapting h&r block is a kind of a role model for us uh, we don't we don't want to position ourselves too closely to them, but they do personal taxes. Anyway, so the company just scaled and and added lots and lots of I mean, they they sold probably six hundred franchises in Canada, the United States over a 30 year period. And then my team got there eighteen months ago and really take all the good things that Paget has, they're so good at helping an entrepreneur run a firm, make money in the tax business, in the accounting business. But What I learned from building accounting fly and from my friends in the industry about implementing cloud accounting and implementing better processes, implementing remote work and contractor accounting. That was our, what we've brought to the table. And then, and now this next phase that I mentioned, where we want to go and match entrepreneurs with existing firms, help them buy them, get them in business for themselves.
0: And how many, it, it, do, you, do you call them franchises? How many franchises is paged up to and what's sort of the reach of the network and, and all of that now?
1: 300 uh, independently owned offices in North America. And most of these firms are probably 50% accounting work, 30% small business taxes, and they do some advisory and they do some payroll as well.
0: What's the typical profile of... Of the of the independently owned office, what do they sort of uh, look to Paget for and uh, to to help them along the journey?
1: They want us to do the R and D to have a viable technology stack. They want us to be able to answer tax questions that they are getting from clients that they don't have time to research. So we have an entire research staff. They want to be a part of a community, which we have an awesome community of our owners and they want to have a playbook on how to make money in the in the tax and accounting space. What's interesting is just like the profession itself, our owners average age is probably 60 years old. They're ready to retire. So our challenge is
0: <laughs> you need to bring in 300 new owners, right, <laughs> really fast. Anybody out there who wants 300 accountants? <laughs> does, anyone,
1: does anyone listening to this podcast uh, know 300 accountants that want to buy a firm in the next um, three years? Be Six months, yeah. <laughs> hit me up, DM me. So that freaks me out because that's kind of like our, our big swing is, is can, can we make that transition happen? And, you know, I mean, you know how it goes. It, it, we have a good plan for it, but you're not going to know how it's going to work until you, until you pull it off.
0: Where, how did Accounting Fly fit into all this? but tell us a bit, bit about that and, and your passion
1: for, for, for that. I truly have a passion for the, the talent side of our space. started Accounting Fly 10 years ago. Our mission was to solve the account solve the hiring crisis that existed in the accounting world. That crisis actually only got harder. We have not solved it.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> I think you need to start a university
0: with 30,000 uh, students to help, help make a dent right
1: <laughs> we had had so many interesting stories evolving accounting fly over the years so many ups and downs we worked with we only want to work with firms and we we're really committed to solving this problem I mean the problem is, is that like there's just more jobs than there are people and the value proposition for working accounting has, has sucked more and more over time. And uh, the turnover rates show it the pandemic blew that up. So it's even worse, but we realized that by being an open firm and re- embracing remote work and making some changes to workplace culture firms could hire people want to stay in public accounting and in, in accounting in general, they want to serve clients, but they don't want to work for shitty employers and, so we wanted to make better employers and help them hire people, and so it's it's my it's it's a great passion of mine. And um, so I still am an owner in Accounting Fly. I'm I still speak on behalf of Accounting Fly and and, and issues related to talent and and Padgett and Accounting Fly have a great relationship too because our firm owners were bought in on remote work and contractors and the things that accounting fly does. So it's weird. I started a company and then um, grew tired of being in a startup leadership role and, and uh, started looking around for something else. And then Paget found me. It was just the career opportunity of a lifetime as far as I was concerned, but I still get to be involved in accounting fly. But my, my team at accounting fly runs that now, not me.
0: And what, uh, so through your experience in accounting, flyer and Padgett, what's, what makes the perfect firm?
1: Yeah, that's an awesome question. A, A perfect firm has a clear sense of who they are and a clear sense of what they are and what they are not. And you, and you can articulate what you're not. That's hard. People want to take everything, you know, in terms of new clients or people, but you've got to chisel away who you are and who you're not. I think there's so much opportunity in firms in having, being such a great advisor-led company that can charge high rates and don't race to the bottom, so that's another aspect: is aggressive, value-based pricing. It's an incredible workplace that is flexible for its people. It's really mission-driven around taking care of its people. If you have those those kind of key elements. And I and I want to make a last point because I see firms make this mistake a lot. makes them an imperfect firm is owners in, in our peer group will hire people but not delegate authority to them. So we, we make this mistake of hiring the low-level admin staff or the low-level tax staff, but we don't hire like that critical COO or if you know traction, the integrator role. And then even if you do, they don't delegate. So you've got to get out of your own way as a leader. So I think I think those elements can make for an absolutely perfect firm, high margins, high prices, a clear sense of who you are and who you are not, and a delegation culture. Those are the off the fly, the things that I see so often that are troubling when firms are not adopting those practices. What do you and and I, I, throwing it back at you like you you heard my answer like what did you think about that and like what did you think I, I missed or did you disagree with
0: anything? No, no, no. Of course, I just You know more. You know more about running a firm than I ever will, um, Jeff. But what do we see? What do we see that that appears to be successful? I don't know whether it's perfect, but. I look at firms like Acuity down in Atlanta. I look at firms like uh, Flinder in the UK. You know, I think there's some common elements that make, uh, yeah, I mean, what do you want out of it? Do you want to grow? Just, is a perfect firm one that's growing uh, outsized numbers than, than you know, the rest of the industry? I don't know. It probably is for me, but, but my perfect firm is different to yours, right? So that's kind of makes that question a a bit interesting the even any company you know you want to work for a company that is or, or firm in this case that as you say is purpose-driven that has a mission that you can get behind that you can believe i think that that that's got to be the first piece to it doesn't it like people have, have woken up you know in, in the last hundred years right like it was different way, way back when i was a kid you know <laughs> um and you know, you were lucky to have a job, right? The Depression years and all of that. So, so, you know, the the economy and the industrialized world has changed dramatically and no longer are people begging for a job. They get to choose their career and their, their own success or not. And I, and I think, you know, you, you keep taking that further and further and it's like, well, if I'm going to do something with my life, I want to make it worthwhile. I want to leave a legacy. I want to be part of something that is that is important. And that does good. And I think, mo- you know, I'd like to believe that most people in the world think that way. I'm sure there's, uh, there's plenty that don't, but I think hopefully there's a majority that do. And, and I think those firms with purpose and, and that look after their their employees and, and their clients and they have values, I, I think is that's got to be the start for me.
1: I love that answer, and I I was going to add to put a fine point on it, but it's, it's you said it is. I think a perfect firm accomplishes what you need from it to accomplish for your life. Like if you've read e- emyth, myth uh, that the whole premise of E-Myth is you start a business. The purpose of the business is to support your personal life. It's it's selfish in that sense, and you are not your business. Your firm is this is this is the supporting mechanism to run your own life. So everybody has different needs and different desires. My my wife's a business owner. She started a company 10 years ago. She's an interior designer. And at first, I remember, I mean, it's crazy looking back, but she wanted to start it so that we could always send our kids to a to this school that we wanted to send them to, a private school here. And it, it's it's grown beyond her wildest dreams. And our, our kids did get to go to that school. And she grew it when I was trying to start a company that, that had a much longer runway and good for her for, and I'm eternally grateful for her for doing that
0: so there we go we've got some we've, we've established some tenants right everybody's perfect firm is different to everybody else and that's that's perfectly good
1: <laughs> yeah but you're not going to get a staff if you don't have certain elements though in, in in light of where we're at and if you can't hire you can't get more clients and so there are there are principles there are principles here for sure
0: uh, you touched on something and it's something that, that we talk about internally. You know, employment is a two-way relationship, right? Like you need to get out of, out of your company what you need to get out of, but vice versa too. Your company, your firm, your uh, employer needs to get out of you what, what they need to get out of and, and that's why you're paid and that allow, employment allows uh, forward propulsion of, of economies. And whether we like it or not, that's the world we live in. <laughs> Predominantly, there's a couple, you know, you can try and go to Costa Rica and, and just eat mangoes off the tree.
1: You'll be working there. It's a great relationship. It's the invisible hand. And entrepreneurs start companies and attract investment. And people who don't want to be entrepreneurs uh, find careers and get paid for their results.
0: Self-awareness in your capacity in your career i think if you're a person that is an entrepreneur um and if you ever do enneagrams like a lot of entrepreneurs are eights i'm an eight we're actually very um <laughs> insecure and, and vulnerable but we never like to show it and, and the, only, the only way through is just is crash. <laughs> um so there's a couple of entrepreneur traits come out and uh, threes as well who don't who don't like to show their feelings they're very uh, goal oriented but if you're a person you know and, and that's great if entrepreneurship is for you and you are self aware enough that that you have the resilience and perseverance in order to do so so you should but if if you're if you're destined to be an employee embrace it right don't don't try and start things that your your capabilities are, are not most oriented towards right so. You know, if, if if you're spending your life making up for your natural deficiencies to try and be somebody that you know you aspire to, because for some other ulterior reason, you know, it's a hard life, right? Some of the some of the most successful people I've met recently are second and third in charge of companies of big companies, and that they they have become filthy fucking rich. From, from being great employees you know in great companies and um, not, not just rich but fulfilled and uh, and have done amazing things uh, in companies that you never you never would have heard of the, these people but you've heard of the companies and, and these are the people that make the engine turn right. <laughs>
1: That self-awareness is, is important. I didn't know what it felt like to start a company until I started one. I knew that I wanted to do it, and it crushed me at times. I mean, it was too much to bear, you know, for, for many, many times, and it, it wore me out. I, lo- I love my story. There's some terrible, shitty moments in it and uh, some super highs. And gosh, uh, but, but I could write a book about it, you know, from that experience for sure. I know what we can call it. You, you mentioned the title earlier, right?
0: Well that, well that we, that's two tiles now. We can call it the perfect film. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
1: we should write it in Costa Rica.
0: Let's do it. Might might be a long time in the writing. <laughs> well no, let's let's go back. You said some something interesting there. You said it crushed you. What in what you know, in what circumstances or, or or how how did it get to that point, do you think?
1: Best book I ever read about Leadership and entrepreneurship during my journey building my company was The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. And what I learned in that book was, as the leader of a company, you have to make decisions. And you don't want to all the time, but you have to. And the power of your decisions will ultimately lead to the outcomes of success or failure. So I needed to read that book right when I did because... Every decision we made when we first set out into the market was wrong.
0: <laughs> it was it the most one that he got wrong?
1: <laughs> no, we, we got them all wrong. I think we were, we were zero for a 279. <laughs> and we'd raised money on an idea. We basically raised expedition money, which is we think there's a problem. If you fund us, we will go and build a team and see if we can solve the problem. And we ran out of money really quick and we hadn't solved the problem. And we built a piece of software that we thought would solve the problem. And we were solving the wrong problem and the software wasn't effective at solving the wrong problem. And I felt like uh, an NFL football coach who went zero and 16 for like six seasons in a row. I just could, we couldn't win. We couldn't win. But eventually, it led to a solution, which ultimately gained traction. And um, but the damage was done. I was exhausted, and so the le- the lesson, though, if you uh, if you like entrepreneurship, is is think MVP, think minimally viable product. Go find product market fit before you take money or before you take serious money and don't raise money on a hope and a prayer of a business. It's, you gotta have validation. So now I could do it and be very successful at it probably if I, if I did it again, but boy, it was hard.
0: Did that solution ultimately become accounting Fly? Is that sort of the evolution? Yeah,
1: it did. And we were working with a lot of middle market CPA firms, hundreds of them for our web based solution but no one was making any hires on that. We want to do this SaaS based hiring model because we want to be a SaaS company. We want to get the kind of multiples you know that SaaS companies get. We kept banging our heads against that. And it just turns out they, these clients don't want to go through the resumes. They didn't want to go through all the interview process. They want to they pay you to do all that manual labor. And so even though that's not the business I wanted to start, we became a a service firm. We became a, a staffing agency, basically. The only survival option we had was to become a service business and basically say no to all of those firms we were working with unless they wanted to hire remotely, because I learned in this profession that's the only reliable way to make hires is to stop caring where they work. That was the golden nugget lesson out of all of the kind of the product market fit issues that we had
0: you know the the insight that you now have in terms of the the way the industry works the way the industry operates the way it, you know the macro aspects are, are invaluable and and i'm sure you could if you if you wanted to i'm sure you could monetize a lot of that but
1: absolutely i mean I, I when i go and talk to firms i know what i'm talking about with the money we raised and i mean we bought going concern which is read by Eighty percent of millennial CPAs. We, we we have a we have a handle on everyone that's a potential candidate in the market. And what I tell them is, if we couldn't do it, there's no way you can do it. That's why we kind of do what we do now. We, we want the firms to outsource it to us because because we uh, we know how to do it.
0: Amazing. That's a fair journey, Jeff. Congratulations on all your success. <laughs> and he, he, as hard earned as. As it is and and, and we're, we're, we know we've've we've been through some you know some of those horrifically tough times and um,
1: absolutely. It's a testament
0: to your resilience and perseverance and and values that uh, many hundreds, probably thousands of, of uh, accountants have great jobs and are fulfilling their, their purpose and you should be very proud of you know that that achievement amongst many others.
1: Oh, I appreciate that. I would do it all over again too. You don't know what it's like to start a business until you start a business, right? And no one really understands what it was like so for people who, who went through it like you have. And I'm grateful for the lessons that we learned. There's a knowledge now, you know, that I wanna I wanna help people with. I mean and that that is why I was a perfect fit for Paget. I'm I'm I work with all these entrepreneurs who are dealing with the same the same crap that you've dealt with and I've dealt with. And I've got personal personal stories, yeah, to to help with
0: stories to impart <laughs> yeah hey Jeff this has been super fun thank you for your time today and uh, can't wait to see you in person soon no doubt on the on the circuit that's coming up
1: <laughs> yeah I hope to see you soon Stuart it's, it's, uh, I appreciate you asking me to do this it's an honour and uh, I'm a big fan of you and your company and keep doing what you're doing
0: we appreciate you.
1: cheers Jeff Cheers, thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode. If you found this discussion interesting, fun, you'll find lots more to help you run a successful accounting firm at Carbon Magazine. There are more than a thousand free resources there, including guides, articles, templates, webinars, and more. Just head to carbonhq.com/resources. I'd also love it if you could leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. Let us know you like this session. We'll be able to keep bringing you more guests for you to learn from and get inspired by. Thanks for joining and see you on the next episode of the Accounting Leaders Podcast.